You know, there really is life-changing power in those words. When, need, when we declare above all things the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of what he did for us, when we declare that, I hope that brings a sense of joy in your heart. I, I hope that does something in you that it gives you a little different look at life. Because if it doesn't, then... I'm not sure we're declaring the same Jesus (laughs) because he's been transformed and it gives us a hope and assurance. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you for being here today. Pastor Rip, thank you for leading us in prayer powerfully. If he prayed something for you today, believe it. If he touched on something that is impacting your life, take it to heart because Jesus is faithful. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So today, this is Easter. Happy Easter to all of us. And uh, I want to talk to us today about the hope of Easter. Out on the, the sign by the road that we put out this week, what does Easter mean to you? I think that's a good question. What does Easter mean? To you, is it just simply a, a day that we come to church? A day that we, you know, when I was a younger a kid in the church, it was always a time when we would get new Easter clothes and we would uh, dress up in our Sunday go to meeting clothes and our new Easter outfits, and we'd come. and I know my sisters would be in dresses, and my brother Barney and I would have a, maybe a new tie or something. And I'm not sure that I really liked that, but it was what we did. <laughs> But I know that we in America, for the most part, we all know that Easter is about Jesus. And it's about the day that he rose from the dead. And uh, that's, I think, pretty common knowledge. And I would say a little bit further that for the true Christian, the true follower of Christ, this is our flagship holiday, if you will, because this is the day that sets our faith apart from all other faiths. This is the day that gives us hope different than any other day of the year. Every prophet, every teacher, every holy man, every religious leader of all other religions, including Jesus, they were all born and they all died. But only Jesus Christ was the one that rose from the dead. All the others are still in the grave. They may be having, they might have spoken great truths and things while they were alive, but because they're still in the grave, those words are powerless, especially in relation to Christ, because his words are alive. 
And he's not in the grave anymore. He rose. And not only did he rise from the dead, but he was transformed into a new body. This is really important that we're going to talk about the transformation because God just didn't raise Jesus in the same fleshly body that he died in because when he died, he died pretty beat up. I mean, he had lashes on his back that tore the flesh off his back. He had a crown of thorns stuck in his head that were blood bleeding, running down his face. I mean, he was beaten beyond comprehension. And and God just didn't raise Jesus back in that same fleshly body Kind of like what we see on horror movies, like zombie movies, that they come back as the walking dead. No, 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 no. He came back in a transformed new body, a resurrected body that is different from the one that died. And that gives us great hope today. Because as Pastor Rip prayed, we, growing older, our bodies weaken. And they deteriorate, even though that's not what God originally planned them to do, that's the fact. And I'm so thankful that when it comes that day of my resurrection day, I'm coming back a new body, totally healthy, totally vision that is better than 2020, hearing that is better than a dog. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just coming back as a new person. And not only am I, is that happening then, but can I just say, I'm, I know I'm running ahead a little bit, but I got to say it, it's, I can enjoy that new body, that new transformation today. Because when I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I make him my Savior, then I make him my Lord, then I'm, transfer, then I'm transformed in my spirit today. I'm not the same person that I was. Amen. That's a blessed thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. This is the hope of Easter. Amen? Amen. Our text for today is, uh, like I said, we have lots of scripture, so bear with me. It's all on the screen, or you can open your Bible if you have it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. And it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, encourage one another with these words because we'll be with the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for this. We thank you, Lord, for the promise and the hope that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would open up our spiritual ears to hear today that our hearts would be opened. Maybe we've heard this message before, but I pray, Father, that it becomes brand new to every one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hope. Hope doesn't come from anything man can create. There's nothing in our life that can create hope. There's no hope in our traditions. Maybe a sense of purpose. Maybe a sense of, of, of reason. But that hope that would be given in a tradition is easily shattered when the traditions fail. There's no hope in religious rituals. The enemy loves rituals. Do you know that? The enemy loves it when we have rituals in our life that sound religious and look religious, but they're dashed when the problems of life come. There's no hope there. There's no hope in doing, and I believe this is a really important one, doing what the majority does. Think about that. It's so easy to follow the crowd. But according to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus talks about the narrow and the wide road, the crowd, the Bible says that more will be on the wide road than on the narrow road. The wide road leads to death. The narrow road leads to life. So there's no hope in following the majority because the majority is on the wrong road. That's what the Bible says. We have to believe it. And as we spend time watching the news and seeing what's going on around us, I, we, we, it's easy for us to see the hopelessness of the world. It's easy to see the fact that we have very little to really put our hope and trust in anymore because the world is so upside down in every, in every facet. I don't like to go back and think of the good old days because when we think of the good old days, they had their problems too. But at least when I go back a few years ago, we certainly weren't spinning so wildly out of control as we are today. Today, right is really wrong and wrong is really right. And it seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, the majority, that's what we're being told. Last week, we talked about how disappointed and angry Jesus was when he entered the temple and he saw the money changers and he saw the, the fact that, that they were making his house, his father's house of prayer into a house of thieves. And it wasn't because the business transactions weren't necessary. Listen, life is made up of business. Life is made up of transactions. We must do them. We just need to do them in the right way, in the right manner, in the right location, at the right time, in the right setting. So when Jesus was angry about that day, he wasn't angry that they were transacting business. He was angry in where and how they were doing it. And so many times I think that's where we fail as well. We're not doing the wrong things necessarily. Maybe we're just not doing them in the right context. Maybe we're not doing them for the right reasons. Even the followers of Christ can become delusioned and caught up with the worldly way of doing things. And when we do this, we slowly, we can slowly lose our focus. And it's when we do that, we get off in the weeds and we get so distracted, we get so lost, we don't even know where to turn and how to turn back. And the scripture is full of warnings against this kind of living. It's, it's full of warnings against false teachers and prophets that were in the church then and still are today that are using the gospel message for their own personal selfish gain. I think we know that. I think we can see that. 
And most of the time, these false teachers, I don't think they started off that way. I, I don't think a false teacher starts off with the intention of being false. I think what happens is they start off with the right intent, maybe with the right, with the right um, uh, strategy, the right position, but because they're not diligent in keeping their temple cleared out, cleaned out, a house of prayer, that they slowly begin to compromise with the worldly way of doing things. And when they do that, they will lose hope because they'll lose the purpose of why they're there. And I think that is um, where the sense of hopelessness comes from. Hopelessness is prevalent in a world lost in sin where people are filled with anxiety and dread and fear and perplexity. I mean, that's what the Bible says is going to happen in the end days, that we are just going to have such a fear-driven mentality that we're going to make poor decisions based on fear rather than decisions being based on Christ. We're going to find our identity in other things. We're going to find our identity in our emotions and in our feelings Rather than, I, or rather than our identity in Christ. And when I put my, my sense of being in my emotions, I'm dangerous. I'm dangerous to myself and I'm dangerous to others because we all know how quickly our emotions can get um, wildly out of control as well, that our emotions, our feelings can tell me I'm something that I'm not. My feelings can tell me that I don't really feel like being a man. I feel like being a girl. Well, nonsense. My feelings can say I'm all kinds of stuff, right? And if I base my life on my feelings, then all truth is relative at that time. That's hopelessness. That's hopelessness. And Jesus describes that as we will see it in the signs of the times coming in the end. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. There's that word, perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. What perplexity means is that there are no answers. There's so many things that are going on in life right now that we just don't have an answer for. That's perplexity. Men's hearts failing from them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Guys, if, we're, if, you, if we think it's bad now, just wait. Just wait of what it's going to be like as we get to the end, nearer to the end. You see, people are looking for hope in the world that only Easter can give. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We want to talk about what is that hope and where does it come from? You know, the word Easter is related to the word east, which naturally points us to the sunrise, to a new day, to a new beginning. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I think everybody loves a sunrise. Whether you're a morning person or not, there's just something special about seeing the sun crest over the morning and that, and the glow of the, the, the colors that it creates, and it's just beautiful. And it just, especially when it's a clear day, not January and up here where it's foggy, and I mean, where it's cloudy, but on a crystal clear day when the sun breaks the horizon, there's just hope in that day, isn't there? You've got some anticipation of the goods that's going to that's gonna come out of that day. 
6,000 years ago, when God created mankind, he created them perfect and without blemish. Sunrises were a common occurrence. But we all know what happened that day that so many years ago when Adam and, she, Adam and Eve chose to sin. And that's the reason why we have sin today. Now, there's a whole sermon and series of sermons that could be preached on that. We're not saying, we're not going there other than to say that sin, everything that is sinful today comes from that, perp, from that point. That's where it started. And because of that, then all of us are dealing with it. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. I'm setting it up, guys. I'm setting up the point that we're hopeless. In ourselves, we're hopeless. If it wasn't for Easter, then no man would have a reason for hope. If it wasn't for the fact that we're celebrating this day, what happened on this day, and what this day represents, there would be no hope for any person. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was God incarnate, died on a cross. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And this is why we're celebrating Easter. The meaning of Easter is that the Son of God paid the price for our sins, and he rose again to reconcile us back to God, his Father. I think we all know that. But when did Jesus start to love us? <laughs> when was it something that he thought he needed to do? Was he waiting for hope to come into the world? Or was he creating the hope of the world? Romans 5, 6, when we were utterly helpless, which really is hopeless, when you're utterly helpless, it's the same thing as being hopeless in yourself, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us. He died for sinners. Amen? That's a good thing. That's the reason we have hope. There was nothing then or now that we can do on ourselves to give us hope other than trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our only form of hope. God had a plan to, on how he was going to do that. Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, and 16, he says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the, from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Rip, Pastor Rip mentioned it earlier that Jesus is the second Adam. Perfect, spotless, without blemish. Just as Adam was created, perfect, spotless, without blemish. But Jesus came to a broken world. He came to a world that was full of sin because of Adam's transgression. And Jesus became that, that blood sacrifice that satisfies the righteous requirements of a holy God so that we can have a relationship with a holy God again. So as a result of God's great love 
and his plan of redemption, Easter now means that our greatest enemy, death, has been defeated. It's been defeated. It's conquered. Death no more brings us fear. No reason to fear death any longer if you're in Christ Jesus. Amen. Easter means that our sins are forgiven and that we're made right with God. Easter means that Christ is truly the king, truly the victor, seated far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is, in, that is invoked. And, and Paul gives us this in Ephesians. He, in Ephesians, he writes this to, to show them that trying to explain to them what this means. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believed in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. But only in this world, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. For God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Here's a very important point. Jesus didn't die for himself. He had no reason to die. He was perfect. He was sinless. And at any time, he could have aborted the mission. At any time, he could have said, Father, it's not worth it. These people are not worth it. I'm coming home. And, he, had, and he, would have, he would have had access back to heaven because he was already sinless. He had a choice to make. Thank Jesus that he made the choice to stay and become the sacrifice. The hope of Easter is that it is a new beginning for us. It's a new way. It's a new start. It means that God, in his incomprehensible great power, was on full display on that day. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Romans eight ten through 11. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Listen to that. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. What that's saying, guys, listen, it's lots of words, but what it says, because Jesus rose from the dead, the same power that raised Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, that same power lives in you today. You've already defeated death. You've already conquered it. That's the hope of Easter. The hope of Easter is that God restores and transforms our life because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And he is the only way to his father. He's the only way to his father. We can't get to the father through any other means but through the death and blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, death is no longer our destiny. Death is no longer my destiny. Listen to what I'm saying. This is really important. Even though our physical bodies will take its last breath, last breath one day and my physical body will stop living, the spirit within me, though, will instantly be in eternity. 
There is no purgatory. There is no place where you just go and don't exist for a period of time. No, really, we never die. We just take a breath here and take a breath there. There's no time lapse. So death means nothing. Even for the unrighteous, listen to me. Even for the unrighteous, there is no time lapse. See, they will go directly from this life to the next. We have to say this, guys. As much as we're talking about Easter and focusing on the hope of Easter, we have to talk about the reality of hell. We have to. Otherwise, Easter has real no, no purpose, no meaning. Because the sin nature in every person, the physical body, will die. And because of that, you will either go, you will do one of two things. Either you will pay the debt of your own sin, you will pay the debt of your sin by spending eternity in hell with Satan and his demons, or you'll be transformed by the power that defeated death and enjoy eternal life with Christ. That's it. Those are the two options. There is no plan C. There is no third option. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 3. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Now, I'm going to continue reading here, and the reason that I think this is important is because I want us to be biblically based in our reason for found, in our foundations of faith. I, I just don't want to preach a good message on my own thoughts, what I think, my beliefs, or anybody else's. So we're going to read Scripture today, and we're going to let the Apostle Paul um, give us, in this passage that we're going to read, his logical explanation of what Easter is and what it means. So continue to read with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, going down to verse 21 through 26. It says, So you see, just as death came unto the world through a man, now the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen. Then skipping down to verse 35, Paul goes on, But someone may ask, How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question, Paul says. I'm not sure why it's foolish, but he says it's foolish. I think it's a good question. But he says, When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. We understand that. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. This is important because this is the power and the significance of transformation. Because we're not coming back in our own fleshly bodies. Just as Jesus wasn't raised in his own beaten fleshly body, we're coming back as a new creation beginning today 
if we're in Christ Jesus. Skipping on to verse 42. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness. Here's the transformation, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scripture tells us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit that what will last forever. Are we catching this? Are we understanding what's happening, what Paul is saying here? We're just now getting to the good part. <laughs> We're getting to the part where our, the grave will not hold us. Our fleshly body will stay there and rot away, but our spiritual man will spend forever in heaven. We'll be transformed into a heavenly body. See, Paul was writing all this because at that time there were many in the church that were confused. They were, um, there was some teaching happening in the church already that Jesus had already come back and that the rapture had already happened and they were being left behind. So Paul, again, in his logical explanation, continues on, beginning at verse 51. Notice here as we read this how many times the word transformed is used. Just notice. Starting at verse 51 uh, through 57, Paul says, But let me reveal to you what a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will, we will all, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into the bodies that, we will, that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I loved reading this passage. I loved studying this over this past week and going over the reality of what it's going to be like to be transformed into the image of Jesus. You know, I, uh, I used to fly when I was younger. Um, and I've always been thrilled with being able to fly. And I quite often have dreams that I can jump and fly. Do you ever dream that way? Those are the best dreams. And you know that that's the way it's going to be. That when we have our glorified bodies, we're going to be able to transform ourselves like that. We're going to be able to be transported as Jesus was. Jesus could appear 
through walls and through doors and he could eat and he could have all the physical characteristics that we have, but he also had that supernatural ability to translate himself different places. That's the kind of bodies we're going to have. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. But they were also, this early church, let me get back to the point. This early church was expecting Jesus to come back at any time. The promise had been given. Jesus told them that go and wait for me. And the day of Pentecost and all that happened. And then he said, you're going to see me coming back in the clouds. As you saw me leave, you're going to see me come back. And so they were already anticipating the soon return of Christ. So let me ask you a question. Is it wrong to do that? Is it wrong to anticipate the resurrection, the, the rapture of the, of the body of the, of, of the church? See, I, I grew up in church. And I was told from the earliest ages that Jesus is coming soon. And I've been told that all my life. He hasn't come back yet. Is it wrong to expect him to come back at any time? Are we misleading people by saying that? No, we're not wrong. We're not wrong at all because it's this belief in Jesus' return is the hope of resurrection. It gives me the hope for me to continue on living, thinking, hoping, planning on the fact that I'm going to see the rapture someday. This is why it's called the blessed hope because it is something that we trust in. It's something we look forward to. It gives me a reason to get up in the day and move on in my life because I'm expecting possibly, very well possibly, this could be the last day. Possibly Jesus could come back today. And you know it's that soon, right? You know that there's nothing else that has to happen prophetically for that to happen. New Testament scripture is full of passages that declare that Jesus is coming soon, that the end is near. And it's to our advantage that we understand this and take this perspective into our own life and give ourselves encouragement for what it means. Let me just give you a couple examples. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. First of all, salvation is offered to all people. He's not just choosing the ones that he wants to be saved. No, salvation is offered to all people. It's a choice. And then verse 12 says, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What that says is that I have choices to make. And now if I'm going to be living with this hope of Jesus' soon return, my choices are to live ungodly. I mean, to live godly. To say no to the ungodly passions of this world. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Now, that, now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Now you have every spiritual gift you need. There's nothing else. We're not lacking anything because the spiritual gifts are for today. And we have every spiritual gift that we need that would give us the ability to wait eagerly for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when, Lord, when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. 
They were expecting him to return in their lifetime. I'm expecting him to return in our lifetime. I believe that. And it's, it's as we have this hope of Easter, it gives us the purpose and the passion to live godly lives, lives above reproach, pleasing lives to our Father, that we make what's important to him important to us. It's time to put away the selfishness of the world and think that I'm going to live for myself. No, it's time to put on the, 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 the clothes myself with the power of Jesus, with the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we live lives full, complete. I hope this makes sense. I hope you've been tracking with me today. Jackie, would you come, please? So as we finish this Easter message on the hope that it brings, let me give another reason why Paul and the early church and every other past believer were not wrong in holding to the blessed hope of Jesus' soon return. Here's the reality of it all, folks. Every believer will see the rapture of the church. Every believer will see the rapture of the church. Whether they are alive when the last trump sounds and Jesus appears in the clouds, or if they are resurrected from the grave and precedes those that are, are alive. So we have every right to believe we're going to see it and experience it because we are. I may or may not be alive when it happens, but I'm going to experience it. As a believer in Christ, the Bible says those that have passed on already that were believers will be raised first to meet Jesus in the air. And then those that are alive will follow them. So I can promise you, I can promise you, you're going to see the rapture. And here's another thing you're going to see too. If you don't live until the corporate rapture of the death, the day that you take your last breath is your rapture. Do you know when that's going to happen? Do you know? Therefore, this is why I believe in the hope of Easter. Because it gives me the hope of eternity. The blessed hope is that a believer will not be left in their grave, but will be, but will be raised to a new life in a new spiritual body like the one Jesus has, and we will be with him forever, for all eternity. We will not be left in the grave. Our, our souls will not be vanquished to hell as a believer. Now, if I don't have Jesus in my life, that's a different thing. But as a believer, that's what I have to hope for. Do you? Where are you at this morning? What does Easter mean to you? Does Easter give you that hope? Or are you struggling in some areas of your life? Have you committed your life to Jesus? Are you ready for that blessed hope? Would you close your eyes with me, please? I think this is another very important time in our life, maybe more important than anything else, when we have this quiet time 
where we examine our hearts and we'll look deep into our own person. Who am I? Who am I? What am I built on? Where's my identity? So easily it is for men to have an identity in our jobs, in our occupations, for women and moms to have our identity in our children. Those are good things, but they're not the end all. Our identity needs to be in Christ. The hope of Easter says that I can look to Jesus and I could see him high on that cross, lifted up. And I can accept the blood that ran from that cross and I can apply it to my life so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see the broken, sinful man that I once was, but he sees the blood of Jesus on my life. And he says, yes, you're my son. You're my daughter. That's hope. That's hope. Do you have that today? As your eyes are closed, if you want that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive it by just lifting your hand, not to me, but to God, and saying, Father, I need to be forgiven. I need to be forgiven. Would you please forgive me? Maybe you've walked away from Christ. Maybe you've had a relationship with him, but maybe it's not close anymore. And you want to come back. You can do it again. Same thing. If you want to just lift your hand to the Father, because it takes a form of action. Listen, we need to put faith, action to our faith. This isn't a reason to embarrass anybody. That's not the point at all. It's the point of you recognizing what's going on in your life. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you when he hung on the cross. He hung naked before the world to see. Unashamed. Because the joy set before him is you and I. So I can't be ashamed of him. We all come to the cross this way, folks. I'm going to tell you right now, we all come to the cross the same way. Every one of us have made that proclamation. Every one of us had to lift our hand or come to the altar or come to that point of conversion where we now make that transformation in our life so that when I walk out of here today, I can say, I'm a new person. I'm a new person not just because I think I am. I'm a new person because I made a transaction today. If you'd like to make that transaction, now is the time. Now is the time. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. I thank you that you have given us a hope, a hope that transcends all hopes of this world a hope that truly is eternal. 
I don't have to wonder anymore. I don't have to wonder if I'm good. Am I good enough? Did I do enough good things? No. The hope and the promise is in relationship. It comes through my actions. First, it comes through you that you've paid the price. Now I simply have to receive it. I have to reach out and take it. I have to lift my hand to you in worship. I have to lift my voice to you in crying out, saying, forgive me, and you're faithful. So this morning, I want to give you one more time, one more other opportunity. If you want to, if you want to receive Jesus, today's the day. I just feel this in my heart. It's necessary that I continue to press the point here a little bit. Amen. Okay. Stand with me if you would. Jackie and Tom, lead us in this song. You who say I am. And let's just worship him this morning before we go. Amen. Father, we're so thankful that we have that place in your house today, that we are celebrating, Lord, your resurrection today, and we have that place reserved that is our place. You've gone ahead and you've prepared a home for us, and you said you would come back again to take us there. 
And Father, we're looking forward to that day. So I celebrate with all my friends here today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the promise that we have. And we just give you praise and glory. And everyone said with me, amen.